And we want to welcome you today. I'm Cliff Patterson, one of the elders here, and we welcome you uh, online. And uh, Pastor Tommy's away this week. He's taking some time away with his family to go see his family up in Arkansas, so we pray for him. And Father, we just lift up Pastor Tommy, and we lift up this service to you. Give it to you, Father. We're here to hear your word. We thank you for uh, Mr. Kyle, who's come here to preach the word today, Lord, that you would bless him and anoint him in Jesus' name. And as I said, Kyle's going to bring us the word today, and Kyle's a, another one of the wonderful musicians that you see up here from time to time, and so we're thankful for him. And I woke up this morning, and um, I had the disciples on my mind. I wanted to share a few thoughts on that. And uh, as you're turning to Ephesians, I'm going to read the passage of Scripture that Kyle's going to be in. He's going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I was just thinking about the disciples, and we have Simon, who was named Peter, Andrew, his brother, so we got two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, another two brothers, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, the tax collector, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And we, we have some information on some of these guys and some inf on a few of these guys. We don't really know much of anything about other than their name. And um, I was just thinking about how Jesus chose these people. And some of the tags that are on these names, we don't really think much about because we have, uh, I mean, we'll, let's look at Simon um, Simon and Andrew. You know, they were fishermen, right? We all kind of know that. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, we knew that they were fishermen. You know, they were the guys that, you know, if you think of them today, they were probably like construction workers. You know, they got a big truck, you know. Uh, they have a sticker on their truck that says, work is what you do when you're not fishing, um, or a born-to-fish sticker or something like that. Just a regular dude. James, the son of Zebedee, Jesus said they're sons of thunder. Maybe they're clamorous guys. When they get together, they make lightning. Maybe they're divisive. Who knows? Don't, don't know too much about them. Matthew, the tax collector. That's an interesting one. See, you, got, you have these good old boys up in North Country, right? Just old, regular dudes. And now they're walking around with Matthew, the tax collector, who collected taxes for this government that was imposing itself on Israel. You know, an outside influence um politically probably hated pretty much i'm sure you've if you've hung around the church or read scripture you kind of get that idea that you know matthew probably wasn't a liked guy uh probably had some divisive political views and i just sometimes wonder about when they get together and they start talking what some of those conversations look like you get down to simon who was called a zealot so he was like an, a patriot for Israel. You know, he would have had like a sticker on his truck that said, you know, let's make Israel great again. So, I, you know, I think that we have very, you know, conflicting views here. You know, I mean, if Simon was alive today, he might be here and he could have a big red Dodge truck out front with a huge American flag hanging from it, you know. I mean, that's just the kind of guys that you had meshed in here. But I find it fascinating 
because Jesus calls all these guys in, complete different political ideologies, different sides of life, and they all have to bow their thoughts to Jesus. They're forced to look at him and bow their ideologies, bow their affiliations, bow their parties, bow their thoughts to Jesus through this three-year ministry journey they went on him with went with him on and just forced to submit all those things to Christ and I think that's the beautiful part of the church is that we can have all those people here represented in this congregation and the congregations around the world today just coming in with different ideas of how our political system could work and but we all have to submit it to Christ and that's the one thing that Jesus, I believe, calls us to have in common. You know, we may not think right the same politically. We may not think the same emotionally or sociologically or whatever, but we all are called to think the same about Christ, and one day we'll all be with him, and we're not going to worry about those things anymore. Amen? So that was just on my thoughts. I wanted to share that today, and um, and I, I see myself in those one of those disciples. Maybe you do too. You know, maybe one of these guys, Bartholomew, we don't know much about him. Maybe he was like Denny. He drove a Prius, you know. He just, he's he going to save the wor world by driving his battery-powered car. I, I don't know. And, <laughs> but praise the Lord. And, you know, in that spirit, that's what Grace Life seeks to do, be welcoming, just as Jesus was. He welcomed them. He saw through all that stuff. He was going to do something else with them. And we welcome you today in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's part of our charge and our welcome. And you've all heard it. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and need strength. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers you welcome. And we pray that you see him today. And maybe this is your first time. We pray that you see him in a new way. And those of you who have been attending, we want you to see him. And as one commentator I've listened to is like, we pray that you hear the soft sound of sandaled feet in this ministry. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show forth his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not of a result of works, so no one can boast. No one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen.
morning. I am truly excited to be here today. Um, I always love coming together with you guys and worshiping the Lord every Sunday. No matter how hard work might be, no matter how hot it might be outside, I always look forward to Sunday. It's a day to rest and worship the Lord with his people. Amen. Um, I just want to take a moment to pray and just, yeah, let's just do that. Lord, I come before you today just so thankful for who you are and what you've done for me, where I was dead in my sins and trespasses, rebelling against you openly, Lord, and you saw me and chose me, not because of anything good inside of me, but because of your sovereign will and your sovereign grace and mercy on my life, Lord. Lord, I am unworthy of this calling. I am unworthy to be up here, Lord, but it is because of you that I can be made worthy, Father. My worth is not in anything I own or anything I do. My worth is in you and you alone. It's in your cross. My righteousness is not of my own, Lord, but it is from you and you alone. May we boast in you only, Father. May we rest in you today in the reading of your word as we continue to worship you in the reading of your word. May we rest in these truths that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And while your people were dead in their sins without hope, we can rest in the but God. We can rest in who you are and what you've done for us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Cliff just read, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I've preached on this before, but um, I mean, as I've grown in my walk with the Lord and my knowledge of Him, there's just so many new things in, in these verses that perhaps I've missed last time, or there's just some things that I just want to ex- talk about a little bit more. So I'm sure we've all heard of the phrase, but God, and we, we can all think back to a time on our life where God made the impossible possible. We can think back to a time where we had no hope, where we were perhaps sinking in despair, but God. And perhaps we've forgotten at least we may need a reminder that our biggest problem has been solved. And I'm not trying to downplay any of the trials or anything that we've gone through because those things are, are worthy to be praised that God has delivered us from them. But I feel like sometimes we fail to remember that, again, our biggest problem has been solved. We have been saved. We're no longer under the wrath of God because he has instead poured it out on his son. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we are now slaves of righteousness. We're no longer dead, but we are now alive in Christ. And we can all say amen to that. Time and time again, we can say amen, that's the truth, we believe that. But as Tommy was talking about the last few weeks, we can agree that our assurance, it wavers from time to time, or maybe it wavers more often than not. His message last week really hit home for me because there's so many times in my Christian life 
I ask myself the question, am I even a Christian? Growing up in my childhood church, I honestly don't remember the doctrine of grace being preached that often. I remember always thinking early on in my Christian walk that all the works I would do, the different ways I would serve in the church, they were just ways to help me feel secure. It was a way for me to earn my assurance, and if I'm honest, I was afraid that if I didn't do them, and if I didn't do a lot of them, that I would lose my salvation altogether. And I was actually told by one of my pastors Your salvation can't be taken from you, but if you aren't careful and if you neglect it, you can give it away. So do you think that helped me at all? That drove me into a deeper hole of work, 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 work. Keep going, keep going, or else you're going to give it away. And it was not until God brought Sadie and I to Grace Life that I realized that my salvation is not earned, nor is it given to me based off a decision that I've made. I brought nothing to the table except for my sin. My salvation is purely by the grace of God, and it was from that point that the Lord revealed that to me that it honestly seemed like I was set free. Because before I was in, I was in bondage to the idea that I had to earn and keep my salvation. But after reading Ephesians 2, it's clear as day that God did and he continues to do all of the work regarding my salvation. And I think it's safe to say that we all need this reminder. If you're sitting here today and you think, man, I've been a Christian for a while, I don't need another gospel message, I think there's something seriously wrong with that. Because if we look at Paul and all of his epistles, we can see that The people he was writing to were churches. They were Christians that perhaps they were struggling or perhaps they were just getting the gospel wrong altogether. And he reminded them of their hope and salvation and the source of that. And he constantly pointed them towards Christ. And so today as we look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, this section is just a perfect reminder that we're depraved. We were completely dead in our sins without hope and without life, but God. And I want us to rest in those two words today, but God. And as we go through it, I want you to be focusing on these two questions, because it's through these verses that we're going to answer these questions. The first one being, what do we bring to the table? Regarding our salvation, what do we add to it? What, what role do we play in our salvation? And then the second question being, who actually did all of the work? So think about those two questions. What do we bring to the table, and who actually did all of the work? And before we jump into it, I want to just give some context. Um, so the city of Ephesus was known for their pagan practices and their idolatry, Um, Paul planted a church there, and the church consisted mainly of Gentiles, which I I want you to hold on to that piece of information right there because it's very important with what we're going to go through. While Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. And he wrote it to encourage the Christians in Ephesus to 
as they lived in a society that was so against their beliefs and so contrary to their faith and what they believed, he wanted to encourage them. That seems a lot like today, doesn't it? It seems like the country or the world as a whole is just against Christians. I mean, the bigger picture is they're against God. So the first half of Ephesians, he gives them basically what to believe, and in the second half, he gives them how they can walk in Christ. So verses 1 through 3 will answer the question, what do we bring to the table? And I want to just read those again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul reminds these Christians of just exactly how depraved they were before God saved them. And in the first three verses, there there are some key things that are worth noting in regards to our sinful nature. We see in verse 1 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not just crippled by them. We were not just sick with sin, but we were dead. We were in open rebellion against God. We were in step with the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. And the way Paul words it here makes it clear that the world is in unity in this regard. So, so the, word, the language there, the yous and the we's, is important to note because Jews and Gentiles were separate in the Old Testament. God's chosen people were the Israelites, the Jewish nation, and then the Gentiles were not part of that. They were, they were set aside. They were, I guess, outcasts, if you will. And so with verses 1 through 3, it says, and you were dead, talking about the Gentiles, and then it goes down to verse 3, it says, among whom we all once lived, being the Jewish people. So what he's saying here is that sin has infected all of humanity. We're all in unity in our sinful natures and under the wrath of God. Sin has infected everything and everyone. Sin does not discriminate. Sin does not only infect the Gentiles, it infects the Jewish people also. Ever since sin entered the world through the first Adam, it has wreaked havoc on everyone and everything. And Paul's language also shows us that the sin is our very nature. All of us are inclined to sin when we are born. Paul refers to us as, by nature, children of wrath. Sin is not just a small thing in our lives. We are filled with sinful desires and openly rebelling against a holy God. Having kids is a great way, it just, it helps me understand this verse. I love children, I love my children very much. If you have children, you probably know what I'm about to say. One of my sons, who I won't name, he, we will tell him, hey, don't do that. And what will he do? He will open, he will look you dead in your eyes 
and do the thing you told him not to do, openly rebelling against what I had just told him. Sin even infects our children. It infects all of us. St. Augustine says in his confessions, he talks about how when he was just a baby, he would impose his will on the mom by crying and screaming, requesting milk from the breast. Isn't that crazy how sin literally infects everything, all the way down to little babies? Yes, they are precious, and I love them. They are a gift from God. But we cannot deny the fact that sin is in all of us. If we look around the world today, we see people openly rebelling against God. People are selfish and want to do things their own way. I've talked to a lot of atheists, and the main thing they all have in common is this. They all say, I don't want someone telling me how to live my life. We all can agree that human autonomy is the song of our society today. We look back in the Garden of Eden when it all started. That's what got us into this mess. Adam did not, nobody had a gun to Adam's head saying, eat this fruit. He wanted to do things his way. God literally told him, do not eat this from this tree or you will surely die. So what's the opposing part of that? Don't eat from the tree and you will have eternal life. So what does Adam do? Instead of listening to the literal words of God that God himself told him, he listens to the serpent. He does not hold on to the truth that God told him. He wanted to do things his way. He wanted to know like God knows. He wanted to have the knowledge like God had from that tree. Adam made his own decision, like, hey, God, I know you literally told me this, but I'm going to do things my way. Human autonomy. R.C. Sproul called that cosmic treason. So sin is in all of us, all the way down to our DNA. We are sinful creatures. Sin is everywhere in our lives, how we talk, how we love, how we work, even how we rest. We are by our very nature children of wrath. We are at enmity with God. We are in bondage to our sinful natures. Our hearts and minds produce evil and wicked thoughts. You know, some people think that when they're not, they don't consider themselves religious or don't consider themselves Christians, that they're free. They can just live their life however they want. And they don't know how wrong they are. They're blind to the fact that they are literally bound by their sin and they're bound by death and they are under the wrath of God and they cannot save themselves. They are slaves to sin and evil. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now maybe you're sitting here and thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I've never killed anyone. I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen anything. I want to challenge you to reevaluate your outlook on God and who he is and his standard. I would argue that you have a small view of God and you have a small view of your sin. You're looking at your sin through a lens of comparing them to other sinful people around us. 
rather than comparing them to the perfect standard that God has set before us in his word. And we're all guilty of that, aren't we? We all, to justify ourselves, will take our sin and compare it to somebody else and say, well, I'm not in prison for murder. I'm not in prison for stealing. I haven't done anything that bad. And we forget what the standard is. We seem to hold people in higher regard than we hold the Almighty God. Psalm 51 talks about, and it is David repenting. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. So our sin, while we, can, we do sin against people, ultimately our sin is against the holy and righteous God. And I would argue that if you have a small view of your sin, you probably have a small view of God. And we need to stop downplaying our sin because it's very serious. It's very serious because our God is very holy. If anyone knows who R.C. Sproul is, you know his teaching series, The Holiness of God. And he says in there that the holiness of God is the only attribute that is repeated to the third degree. He says that God is holy, holy, holy. So when I ask you, when you look at these first three verses, and you see what Paul says about our human nature... I ask the question, what do we bring to the table? What role do we play in our salvation? If we are dead, how could we respond unless we are miraculously awakened? Once we understand the doctrine of total depravity and the fact that we are sinning against a perfect and holy God, it makes grace so much sweeter. You know, we were standing outside earlier. I wasn't part of the greeters, but I like to hang out out there sometimes. It's smoking hot outside. You know, if you stay inside for a while, you don't really appreciate the AC as much as if you go outside for 10 minutes and then you walk back inside, you realize, man, this AC, it makes you appreciate it so much more. And that's kind of the idea here is that when we understand that we're totally depraved creatures, sinful rightfully and justifiably under the wrath of God, it makes grace, God's grace, so much sweeter in our lives. It also makes the answer very clear to the question, what do we bring to the table? And then verses 4 through 6 will answer the second question. Well, then who actually does the work? I was talking with Matt earlier, and I, I said, if I could summarize the Bible in two words, I would pick these two right here at the start of verse 4. Let's all say it together, actually, the start of verse 4. Ready? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those two words are so powerful. From the beginning of the Bible, we see over and over again, mankind drops the ball and rebels against God, says, God, we don't want your way. 
we want our way. We see the kings of Israel fail. We see the people of God fail. In the Old Testament, we know that the people of God, in order to have their sins atoned for, they had to make sacrifices. God gave them specific instructions on how to do it, and there, there would be a sacrifice after sacrifice for God's people because humans keep on sinning. It's who we are. We're good at it. There needed to be a once and for all sacrifice that would atone for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And the whole Old Testament is pointing towards these two words right here, but God. So I know the first half of this message was, I guess, a little harsh. We're all dead, or we were dead. If you're not in Christ, you are currently under the wrath of God and dead in your sins. We learned about how terrible we are, right? We learned about the sinful nature that we have. We are by nature children of wrath. It is in our DNA. We are sinful, depraved creatures. But there is hope here because of these two words. But God. It would be God himself who sends his one and only son to be the perfect sacrifice once and for all. Christ obeyed perfectly where we all fail. He lived a perfect and sinless life that is credited to our account. He died a death that we deserved and then he rose again on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So if you just read the first three verses, there's no hope. They're pretty depressing verses if you just read them by themselves. We're a done deal. We're rightfully guilty on all charges, deserving of wrath, but... God. And that's just it just blows my mind that you read verses 1 through 3 and you understand that we're completely and utterly depraved. And it it makes this these two words so much more powerful when we understand the first 3 verses. This is a summary of the gospel right here. We were completely dead in our sins and trespasses, standing guilty before the ultimate judge and authority. But God, who is the ultimate judge and authority, made us alive because of his great love for us. And this verse right here shows us that God did all of the saving work. We were not just living our lives in enmity with God. And then one day in the middle of nowhere decided, you know what? I'm going to start following God. I'm going to start obeying him. I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. This verse says, because of his great love for us, it does not say, because of his great love for us and because of our love for him and because of our decision to follow him, he, he saved us. We are not born wanting God. The Bible tells us that, that no man wants God, but we are not, we're not seeking after God first. It is God who seeks after us and opens our eyes to our sinfulness and our need of a Savior. I used to actually believe that me dying would be something to the effect that, for the sake of illustration, I'd fall out of an airplane and have roughly five minutes to pray my way into salvation on the way down, and I'd be good to go. So I'll continue living my life the way I wanted to. I'll continue rebelling against God, doing whatever I wanted to do. But I'd have enough time to pray before I died to get right with him. I didn't want God. I went to church every Sunday. 
you know, my family was pretty involved in church. But I didn't want God. I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to. It was, I had fun, you know. I, the things I was doing at the time, they were a lot of fun. I wanted to do my own thing, live my life. I wanted to go to parties. I wanted to smoke. I wanted to drink. I wanted to do all this stuff. And I wanted to enjoy myself. And looking back on my life, I see God's sovereign, gracious hand calling me time and time again. And I'm so thankful he did. Because I was dead. God protected me even before I ever knew him. He loved me before I ever knew him. You know, Christians today have the tendency to think that God loves us just the way we are. In reality, God loves us despite the way that we are. God saw me a dead, sinful creature. And he chose me before the foundation of the world and declared me alive and redeemed in him. God knows my deepest, darkest secrets and he still chose me to be his child. He has given me his Holy Spirit to help me and change me from the inside out. And this is all because of grace. I could not do this on my own decision. Like I said earlier, the Bible tells us that nobody seeks after God. We are only seeking after ourselves because that's what we want. We want to live our lives how we want to live. Dr. Sproul said, no human being can possibly come to Christ unless something happens that makes it possible for him to come. That necessary condition is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ declares that it has been granted to him by the Father. So the only way that we can come to him is if the Father grants us to, if the Father miraculously opens our eyes. And there was another quote I saw said, you believe the gospel not because you were smarter, not because you were privileged, not because you were spiritual or righteous, but because God invaded your life with his grace and opened your heart to obey his word and believe. And I feel the main issue with the doctrine of grace is that we didn't play a role in our salvation. The, the main issue that I think Christians have with that is that we don't get any of the credit. We don't get any of the glory, and deep down, if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we want. We want glory, and we want to hold on to whatever human autonomy that we think that we have. And in verses 7 through 10 are just beautiful verses that basically say there is no room for boasting. And I want to just read those quickly. So starting at verse 6, actually. And, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created 
in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's through the lenses of verses 1 through 6 that we can read verses 7 through 10. We have no room to boast. What do we have to boast in other than Christ? Verses 1 through 3 showed us what we have to boast in, and that's nothing. The very good works we have come from God. We see here again that it is by grace we have been saved, not by works, so that no one may boast. Paul leaves no room here for misunderstanding. We're saved by grace. End of story. And he goes on to basically say that you have nothing in yourself to boast in because we are God's workmanship. We are God's creation. And that word workmanship in the Greek translates to the word that we get the word poem from. And that's a beautiful picture because it's important to remember that there is nothing good inside of us other than what the Lord has created and put inside of us. God has made us new creations. So whenever we're feeling down, whenever we're feeling like verses 1 through 3, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, may we stand firmly on the truth that God has indeed pulled us out of death and miraculously brought us into life. We're no longer dead in our sins and under the wrath of God. We are now His workmanship, His poem, created for good works that He prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. And the second we start to boast, may we remember that it is God that is doing that good work in us. The good we see is not from our own being, but it is a gift from God. And I think another reason that it, it says that we may not boast is that we are not, our identity is not in the things that we do. Right, The good works that we do, may we not boast in them because that is not who we are. But God has created those good works in us. May our boast be in the cross because that is where our life lies, not in the good things that we do. Our worth is in the cross. There's a song that says, My worth is not in what I own, not in my flesh and bone, something like that. It's a really good song. But so the chorus goes, to wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness. So we are unworthy of God's grace, but it is by the cross that we are made worthy. And I want us to hold on to that today. May we be encouraged that we are God's workmanship. We are God's poem and we who are in Christ are now new creations. So, like I was saying earlier, Jew and Gentiles are united under the wrath of God in verses 1 through 3. And we can see now in verses 8 through 10 that we are now united under the grace of God. If you read verses 11 through 22, we see the beautiful picture of unity painted by God. And I want to just read those really quick. I'm not going to read it really quick. I'm taking my time going to read through these because this is such a beautiful, beautiful image. 
It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. I'm going to read that again. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we who were cut off and alienated, dead in our sins and transgressions, we were not a part of God's people, God broke down that barrier and he brought us into life through Christ and joined us all together under one umbrella of grace. How beautiful is that? The hostility he's talking about here is the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was common for Jews to think of Gentiles as the dirty, outcast people. Almost like, hey, I'm better than you are. And it was through Christ that we see we all we're sinful creatures, not just the Gentiles. We all needed Christ, and it was through Christ that we all are brought into one family. That dividing wall is no longer there. We are all in the family of God. I want you to be encouraged today that our salvation does not lie in our own hands. It lies in the power of the Almighty God, and there's nothing that can change that. Whoever the Father gives Christ is his forever. We are protected in the family of God. We are now co-heirs with Christ. Do we understand what that means? We who were dead sinners are now royalty, co-heirs with Christ. It's okay to get excited about that, guys. We have eternal life, and he is preparing a place for us in heaven. John Piper says, everything of Christ that can be shared is shared with us. How beautiful a picture is that? We are made royalty through the blood of Christ, and he is not ashamed of us. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He doesn't just hide us away like dirty sinners, no, he says, you're with me. 
You are now royalty. I am not ashamed of you. It is through my blood that you are made royalty. Man, we forget what good of news that is. Now, while it is very important that we remember verses 1 through 3, that we may never boast, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, it's important to remember those, but it is also so important to remember who we are now in verse 10. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, and we are to walk in them. And when, when we remember whose we are, that can help us in any circumstance this life throws at us. May we rest in the perfect, finished work of Christ. May we rejoice in the fact that we're no longer dead, but we are alive. Since we know we are now alive, we need to stop acting as if we are still dead. I was talking to my son this morning, um, my older son. He's four. I think he's four. He... We're kind of in the process of potty training him. Yes, he's still in diapers. Don't judge us, okay? I told him, dude, you're a big boy now. Why are you still doing baby things? Because he went in his diaper. But So we need to think like that. We're no longer dead, guys, but we are made alive in Christ. So we need to live like we are God's workmanship. Imagine for a moment that there's a funeral going on, okay? We're at the graveyard. There's the casket. Obviously, there's a person in there. Imagine for a moment that that person jumps out of the coffin. (laughs) If you're still there and you don't run and scream like I would, imagine for a moment that person sees, hey, I'm alive now. Imagine them trying to crawl back in and continue being buried. We would think they were crazy, weren't we? I feel like sometimes we live that way. We know we've been made alive in Christ, but we still mope around like, oh, woe is me. I'm just a dirty, wretched sinner. When we can rejoice and and have excitement in the fact that we are made alive in Christ, We're no longer dead, guys. We have eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen. I just pray that we can be overwhelmed with that reality as we leave here today. And may that be our boast, that it is through Christ, not ourselves. Because we need those two words, but God. Because we can't do anything without him. That could summarize the whole Bible right there. But God, sinful creatures without hope, nowhere to go but God. So when trials come our way, when we feel like we're sinking in a pit of despair and discouragement and depression, we can rejoice in those two words, but God. We are redeemed children. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are children of righteousness. We need to rest in our Savior. He did not bring us to life for us to still be acting as if we are dead. He raised us up to walk in the good works that he has prepared and bring him and him alone the glory because he's the only one that deserves it. 
We do not serve a sovereign God. We serve the sovereign God. We do not serve a mighty God. We serve the mighty God. And we do not serve a risen Savior. We serve the risen Savior. He's the only one. He's the only God. He's the only king. He is the only one that has left his kingdom to come and die for his people. And now says, the people that don't deserve it, which is all of us, you are now my children and you are made royal. You are my royal children. May we rest in that, folks. May we rest in the fact that, and I'm so thankful that my salvation is not in my own hands because it would be gone. I can't tell you the freedom that I felt when the grace of God just popped off of the pages of his word. And it was, it's just so evident to me. It's by grace you have been saved. You know what that means? It's by grace you have been saved. And you know what this means when it says, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God? You don't need to take Greek or Hebrew to know what this means. It is a gift from God. It is not our own doing. So may we rest and rejoice in that reality. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today just humbly, Lord. We know that we were dead in our sins, Father. But you have made us alive. You have redeemed us, Lord. There is no other way that we can be alive except for the mighty hands of you. Thank you, Father, for the grace that you have poured out on us. Thank you for the grace that you've poured out on all of creation, Lord. Lord, if society mocks you and curses your name, Lord, you have poured out grace on them because they are still drawing breath. I pray for anyone in here who does not know you, Father that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes, Lord. They need you. They are not killing it. They are not doing a good job in life. May you show them that they are dead in their trespasses and sins, Father. May we rejoice in the fact that we are your workmanship, Lord. May we not dwell in the past, Lord, that we were dead, but may we dwell in the now and in the future that we have a future hope and that we are your workmanship. You have made us new creations, Father. We're no longer dead. We are made alive and we have eternal life. There is nothing that can take that away from us, Lord. We praise your holy name, Father. May we rest in you and you alone. May we boast in you and you alone, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the team plays the uh, Selah song, we have a team in the back that is more than happy to pray with anyone for anything you need prayer for. There's an awesome team in the back that will pray with you. Prayer is a beautiful thing. Praying with other believers is a beautiful thing that the Lord has blessed us with. So I want to invite you just just reflect on the words of God that we were dead, but we are now alive and we are His workmanship. I hope you leave here encouraged today, and I just pray that um, I just pray that we can rejoice and rest in God's grace and His mercy in our lives. Amen.
is a prodigal story Saved out of the enemy's plans for me I'm home in the house of God My life is a rescue story I have freedom I have freedom Thank you Jesus I am free No more chains on me Now in Christ I live Thank you Jesus I am free Our God is a jailbreaker Tears down unshakable walls Sing loud so all can hear us He is unstoppable I have freedom I have freedom Thank you Jesus I am free chains on me now in Christ I live thank you Jesus I am free the Lord is I am free where the spirit of the Lord is there I will be where the spirit of the Lord is I am free where the presence of the Lord is there I will be where the presence of the Lord is I am free where the presence of the Lord is, there I will be. Where the presence of the Lord is, I am free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there I will be. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, I am free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there I will be yeah. where the spirit of the Lord is I am free cause I have freedom I have freedom thank you Jesus I am free no more chains on me now in Christ I live thank you Jesus I am free thank you Jesus I am free thank you Jesus I am free thank y'all got a few announcements before we do our charge. 
bear with me just a minute. Here we go. We have our, oh, student ministry is not meeting today. We have a lot of families on vacation, so um, if you are not on vacation, please do not go to student ministry gathering tonight. Um, but next week, right after church, there will be a meeting about camp. That is um, a mandatory meeting. That's where you're going to get all the information that you need um, before you guys leave for camp. So please come right after church, right here in the auditorium. There'll be a meeting about camp. And the next one, we have our fifth Sunday coming up, the last Sunday of this month. Great time to get together and to meet people who you don't, um, maybe you haven't met yet. Maybe that you've uh, just started attending Grace Life. Fifth Sunday is a great time to meet other people in the church. We have a potluck um, lunch right afterwards, and we also have baptism. So if you're interested in being baptized, uh, please um, let us know at the church office. You can send an email to contact at gracelifeflorida.com or just let talk to me or um, Megan or, or Tommy or Matt and let us know if you have an interest in, um, in being baptized and also membership as well. Um, we take care of all of that on fifth Sundays. It's such a special, special time. So I hope you join us for that. And then in, out in August, first week in August, we're going to have um, women's and men's gatherings on the 2nd and on the 4th. It's also another great opportunity to meet um, women and men in those respective groups. So um, we, uh, we will give you more information about where those will be held, but just maybe mark those on your calendar now so that you don't miss out. And then we are, we'll stand and we will say our charge together. Uh, thank you, Kyle, for sharing today. Uh, it was awesome. I know Tommy sometimes mentions Johnny Cash, and last week when he said he was talking about a song, I was thinking he was going to say, there's a song, Ain't No Grave. And as Kyle was preaching today, that song came to my mind, and part of the song says, if you walked out of that grave, I'm walking too. And I think sometimes we do forget who we are in Christ. And today's message um, that, that Kyle shared was just an amazing reminder of who we are in Christ. And I think we have to sometimes maybe change those, uh, the, the wording a little bit to remember who we are. I am God's handiwork. Or I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And, and maybe you need to do that too. Maybe you need that reminder um, or even, you know, allowing the Lord to use songs, you know, even he could use a, a donkey. He could use Johnny Cash too, right? If you've walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. And so please, I pray that the Lord would allow each of us to walk in victory this week. Remember who we are and remember that somebody in our lives needs to hear this message. And that's why we say this charge to remind us every week that there is somebody in our lives that needs the hope that only Jesus Christ can bring. And so I pray that as we're talking about, um, you know, gospel conversations, next generation, our own location, uh, in, in particular here, you know, gospel conversations. Let's say this together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.